What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 79 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. My co-host will be joining me shortly is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine. Once Mike and I get all caught up on weather and the Super Bowl, we'll talk about some great jazz fusion tracks from the 80s. Our featured artist this time is Mr. Brian Dunn. You guys have seen him on Live at Daryl's House. In our gear review section, Mike will be checking out a bunch of bass drum beaters from DW. We'll get to your listener questions, and as always, we'll give you our picks of the week. So let's get started. You just re- you repeated your your profanity in the deleted. No, 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 <laughs> I didn't. I, I after I after I profaned, then I pressed record. <laughs> Man, I'm fired up this morning. Yeah, yeah. Goodness gracious! How some, are you, buddy? Snowed in. We need some fire oh. over here. Yeah, it was a, our first big snowstorm of the year. You know, whatever. And now, now do you guys, since I've never lived on the East Coast, do you get a heads up like from the weather service? Hey, it's going to be bad tomorrow. You might honestly want to stay stay inside. Oh, yeah. It's full alert. I mean, you get the news is all over it. And they actually I'm pretty sure this the state outlawed or whatever they call it. They restricted tractor trailers after 9 p.m. last night. Really? They just couldn't be on the road. They weren't supposed to be on the road. Okay. Yeah. So it's pretty well prepared. I mean, we we knew it was coming. So we decided to close down the office before the day was over yesterday. So wow. well, I was able to take everything home and be prepared. It's, it's very rare that we wake up and like, ooh, look at that, snow. It's very okay. rare. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Wow, man. Well, and, and is it – is there a difference – I sound so ignorant, but I just honestly have lived on the West Coast my whole life. Is there a difference between like a snow day and then a straight-up cold day? I mean, is it snowy and completely freezing I mean, yeah. I understand it's under 32. I get that. <laughs> Let's have but a little weather lesson, nine? Mike. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I get, I get that. I know what I know. Where <laughs> I'm doing an astrophysics video series. I, I understand where water freezes, no. but is it? I mean, is it like negative nine, or is it like uh, you could go outside in this? It's just a lot of snow. No, it's like 29 degrees out. Okay. Yeah. I mean, okay. it's 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 kind of funny. I, I'm sure it's is everywhere, but when it snows, it actually feels a little warmer. But this particular storm, it's very windy, so it's it's not mm. pleasant at all. <laughs> it's just oh, not pleasant. And generally speaking, uh, when does this stuff let up for you guys? Uh, it's already done. So it was, it was like six hours, four no, hours. No, no, I mean in, in general as far as when are you guys done with snow season? Well, it used to be March, but we've had, um, we've had blizzards at the end of March. So it's oh, a- wow. April, I think we can probably say it's over, hopefully. Wow. I don't know. I well, don't let's know. talk about something very real. Did you watch the Super Bowl? You know, I turned it. I left the game in the fourth quarter. Went down to my studio and started working on drum bird. beats. I missed the oh. actual game. I missed the oh, when yeah, the game right. started. Yeah, the last twelve minutes. Oh. It was such a blowout up until then. I I'm with you, man. I stood for the last thirty five minutes because I was on my way out the door for thirty five minutes, just standing <laughs> by the TV. I'm like, all right. As soon as Atlanta scores one little field goal, there's no way they can come back. I'm out. And yeah. then it was like. Oh, they just had a strip sack. Well, let's see what old TB12 does with this. Mm-hmm. Boom. Goes down scores. And then I literally said to my wife, so Amber's like, because we bet she, she doesn't care. And, and I honestly only care about greatness. But I'm like, I want to see Tom Brady get his fifth. I want to see greatness in action. Yeah. I want to see yeah. Belichick. I want to see him stick it to the man. Um, but at the same time, I would have been stoked for Matt Ryan because yep. he always gets labeled second tier. So anyways uh, – She's like, do you think they're going to win? I'm like, babe, they would have to score two touchdowns, both getting <laughs> two-point conversions, go into overtime, and score again. And... No, they're not going to win. <laughs> or that's exactly what TB12 did, and he went home with Giselle. How much luck can one man have? Well, Goodness I mean, they've gracious. got a magic formula there. I mean, it's, it's, They do. 
it is a dynasty. I think people have been arguing whether or not it's a dynasty, but I don't know how you no, it dispute is. it at this point. <laughs> it is, dude. I mean, they haven't won like he's five in a s- row, but I mean. Yeah, but he's been to seven Super Bowls <laughs> yeah. with, you know, and I mean, honestly, if you look at what he's got around him, it's changing all the time. It's not like, well, yeah. they kept the core group together. It's like, nope, it was just Belichick and Brady, and then they keep making things work, and Man, it's unreal. I, I really feel like what happens in the regular season is Bill features one person per game. And it's like, oh, okay, Hogan is the greatest wide receiver in the history of the world <laughs> for one game. And then they do they do this all, and then you're like, oh, yeah, they still have Aminola. And like, uh, yeah. oh, yeah, Edelman's amazing. And then what happens is on Super Bowl Sunday, he features all of them. Yeah. And it's just like, and you can't, like, the teams are looking around like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> And it's it was and it was without their freaking nature Gronkowski. I mean it right. It Gronk, that, I mean I mean it's it's all about the team geez. more than the players. Unreal. Think about it, over the years they had Aaron Hernandez and then he obviously disappeared. Right. And had then, some issues. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't disappear in jail, but yeah, yeah. yeah like, you're not allowed to kill people. By the way, that's the lesson of today's podcast. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not commenting on that. All right, whatever. Yeah, allegedly. <laughs> I don't but, want to but, be involved in Aaron Hernandez's life. <laughs> you know what? That's a great point. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna really say allegedly, allegedly. Um, but no, I, I agree. I mean, it's just been plug in, and Randy Moss was there, and yeah, I mean, you just and that of, was when. I mean, Randy Moss was. I mean, I followed him in college because he played at Marshall when I was at West Virginia. Okay, and he was just like the bad guy that he's uncontrollable. He's a freaking nature. Right. He's uncontrollable. Yeah. But he, when he got to New England, it was like, dang, this guy's playing serious, and he's not. No. He's not messing around. And he's yeah. I mean, you know, because I remember when the camera would just follow Randy on every out route to watch him take the playoff, yeah. just so they could show it on SportsCenter. Here's <laughs> right. Randy quitting on ten more plays in Minnesota. Um, so yeah, I mean, it it was an incredible game. It was really cool to see. It's always great to see the awkwardness of Roger Goodell walking up to the podium getting booed. And, uh, I, mean, <laughs> and I don't envy him. What a tough job. <laughs> yeah. What a tough job. Just, uh, I mean, I just I think the, of the egos that you're dealing with on a daily basis. Not only does he have to have a massive ego, you've got all the owners. All the owners, yeah. All the coaches. And you've got all the stars. I mean, it's like the and most the, egotistical industry in the world. The owners, I mean, if you think about that, that's those aren't like old school football guys. Those are billionaires that want to be football guys. So that's yeah. a whole different level of ego. Yeah, having yeah, so much no, money, you just you. decide to buy a sports team for fun. <laughs> just because just you're like, I want to have like a, a, a legitimate rooting interest. Yeah, I think I'll buy the team. Yeah. Now I really feel good about wearing the hat. <laughs> wow, goodness gracious. Well, it was it was an awesome Super Bowl, and let's talk about something that's part of the Super Bowl. Lady Gaga, did you watch it? I did. I, ha- I have mixed feelings about it. I mean, I'm, okay. I'm, I've never been a fan of her music, particularly. Uh, I mean, I thought mm-hmm. it was a good it was a good performance, but it it it's. Yeah. It doesn't feel like music to me. It feels like a I'm with dance you. show, like an exp- exposition I've, of dance. I thought it was great entertainment, and yeah. it did the numbers it did, and it does, and and they hire the Lady Gagas of the world for a reason. It entertains non musicians It entertains everybody. It's, it's just entertainment. Yeah. But when you compare that, which which people were saying it's one of the greatest halftime shows ever, which is fine. Don't I, they I won't say even say that every year though. They do, of course. Yeah. But I, I would say it, it was very good for what it was and for the entertainment. And I do like when someone can come out and not have to involve other groups to share the stage with them. Like mm-hmm. she handled it the whole time. It wasn't like, and here's Missy Elliott just yeah. to take up five minutes while I go change costumes. So I thought it was great. But when you compare it to Bruno Mars going out there 
and ripping on every instrument, playing yeah. a damn drum solo. I mean, you and I know how nervous we are about drum solos in general. Now he's <clears throat> this non drummer is going to do it at the Super Bowl. Yeah. That's crazy. And, and I mean, you know, I don't know how many times it's backing tracks, but there's a few songs you can always hear like, okay, I can hear the breath. That's real. Yeah. Bruno sang his ass off. Then he played drums like a monster. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much of that is is live or pre-recorded live. I mean, it's. I just don't know. Right. I think most no, yeah, of this stuff is they record it the day before live, so right. then it sounds like it's live. But either way, I mean, I, I, that's just the technology of the broadcasting. I think Bruno was good. I think Tom Petty a few years back really crushed it. And yeah. Prince, of course, in the rain. Prince, I think. Oh, my God. Purple rain in the rain. <laughs> yeah. Guys, if you haven't seen that, and we will talk drums, all right? So everybody just calm the heck down. Don't start writing your letters yet, <laughs> giving us a two-star rating. But if you haven't seen uh, Prince's halftime show, just check it out. I mean, can you schedule rain? That was so epic. Maybe. It is the NFL. Maybe. <laughs> it was unreal, man. Oh, good stuff. All right. Well, let's get into something way different than Just that, which bit. is great 80s jazz fusion tracks. Now, I purposely did not even take a peek at the nine pages in Modern Drummer that is in black and white because yep. it was from the 80s because yep. <laughs> uh, I didn't want to be influenced by it. So I just wanted to go through, not even try to find the best 80s fusion stuff. I wanted to go through my past and find out, okay, okay. one, what really showed up in my past? Two, what did I miss out on? Yeah. And while yeah. I was in iTunes digging up my stuff, I actually did it with Apple Music on, so it's recommending everything else. I'm like, oh, what's who are the Brecker brothers? You know, or whatever mm-hmm. it was. And man, I found a lot of stuff and I also found out, yeah, I still don't like that style. Mm. <laughs> don't spit your coke out, but <laughs> it, it's the music itself is is tough to get through. The musicianship is amazing, you know. So um, yeah, it was kind of a perfect storm of of you know all, all these new instruments, synthesizers, and and sequencers being introduced, and the recording technology going kind of more digital. Digital. Yep. I think if it was done, I mean, really, a lot of stuff is being made today that you can call jazz fusion is not too different than what was being done back then. It just sounds better. They're they're using analog recording gear, and they're right. you know they they have better aesthetic. It was just and the, I think the just, 80s was just all about like cold digital. Everything was just cold yes. and digital and life. I mean, and the, the yeah. ar- architecture was really cold and strange. And so yep. yeah, I think no, it, I think it was just a perfect you. storm of it was, it was a reflection. Yeah, just yeah, and and I and that's the thing is I can definitely listen to it on the homework side of things. Like I'll go back to uh, Star People by Miles Davis. Uh, that was 1983. Al, Fa- Al Foster on the drums. I'll listen to that for homework. But I don't put that on for enjoyment. Mm-hmm. I'm listening to it. Um, you know, uh, man. Now this isn't part of the '80s. It's 1990, so it's on the cusp. But I have to throw in Old Weckl's, uh Master Plan. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. That kind it of has that '80s it. fusion yeah. feel exactly. But it, I, I don't know if this is true or not. But for me, that was the very first ever. Um, book that I got that had the CD without drums. It was the first play along track, so I learned Garden Wall and I learned all of that stuff. You Did know, you get and the cassette version or the CD version? I got the cassette version. Yeah. Lost that book and got the CD version. <laughs> Hell yeah! I would have gotten the damn LP version if they would have offered it. <laughs> Love that thing, man. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I for for me a lot of that is homework. Now, if we're talking about actual things that I really love, I would say. Uh, 
Schofield's Blue Matter just because that was my introduction to Dennis. I didn't know that Dennis played in you know George Clinton's band. I, I didn't yeah. know Dennis before Blue Matter. So my first Fusion album ever doesn't make the cut because it was recorded in early 70s, which is Billy Cobham's Spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, that's still my favorite Fusion album of all time. Maybe it's just because it was my first. But the first time I really got turned on to a drummer that wasn't part of rock, that wasn't Tim Alexander or wasn't, you know, Dave Grohl or something, was John Schofield's Blue Matter with Dennis Chambers. And that, that I mean, maybe my bass drum playing is the way it is because of that, you know, that yeah. first track. Yeah. I didn't hear that record. I heard, I've got the instructional videos first. The, really? Yeah, Serious Moves and okay. In the Pocket. And yeah. to yep. me, those still stand as the best performances of those songs by that band. I think. I agree. The records, they, better than, they sound pretty they're harsh. They're stale. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. But those videos, it's it, they're cool. they're ripping and it sounds great. And well, and it felt like the drums on the album are—I don't know if this is the case—but they sound sampled. You know what I mean? They yeah, sound tons replaced. of reverb and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Just the and 80s, then and 80s. then when you watch it on that when he, when uh, when he's on his baby blue pearl, <clears throat> yeah, oh, sounds great. I mean, I mean that kick drum sounds sound like a drum set is like one of the best sounds ever on, on those yeah, videos. Yeah. yeah, on the record, what about it, it's like he's in some kind of tunnel <laughs> yeah <laughs> he's hitting yeah. like a, a cannon for a bass drum yeah uh, um, what about you you know there's actually a few that i didn't realize came out in the 80s um the chick korea record with steve gad i think it's called mm-hmm. uh three quartets okay it, i don't know if you could really call it a fusion record it's more of a jazz record but they're not playing all sweet straight ahead i think gotcha. that's that's for me the best steve gad in the jazz fusion world i think it's his really? best work because it's it's you know minimal mixing craziness it's just drums okay. bass piano and saxophone and it just sounds great i mean he's there's some there's some stuff on there that is so hip in his sounds he's got the you know the the uh the steve gadd's super fat dark toms yeah. and the snares detuned yeah. and the ride cymbal you know sounds he's like got he's got those, duct tape uh, all over it. Yeah. You know he's got those Remo uh, muffle rings underneath the heads yeah, he's on got his pinstripes. To, yeah. <laughs> it's like pinstripes with the Remo muffle rings. <laughs> I love but it. it. I love when you're amazing. 10. sounds like you're 16. Yeah. Doom. Doom. They're the same. But yeah, no, I, that's that sound. I mean, especially when we got to see him do the the Buddy Rich Memorial Scholarship and he had his drums sounding like that. And then Vinny and Dave are on either side of him with their wide open tunings. Yeah. It was pretty, pretty awesome. So yeah. that album's called what? It's called Three Quartets. I think okay. it's, it's, it, for me, it's a good, good place to start if you want to get into like more straight ahead jazz, but you kind of want it to have a little bit of a contemporary feel so you don't want to go back to the 50s. It just has like, the sounds are amazing. You can just enjoy yeah. it for the sounds and then. Okay enjoy just steve just ripping it i mean he's absolutely ripping it some of his best solo is on there and i think it's on the last track chick korea plays drums he plays he plays a duet with michael brecker and he's and you would think it's steve gadd really yeah well that's dude can really play jeez how much how much time do these guys have (laughs) i mean i think the story is that that chick actually introduced steve to like elvin jones or something like that like he got him into that style of playing or tony williams maybe right like he was the one who kind of inspired him to to get more into that open broken up swing feel okay sure yeah so that's that's probably my favorite of that era and there's a i mean there's some went marsalis records with tane that came out in the 80s that i mean just blew everybody's minds um Oh, actually, all of them. They're all from the 80s. All the good ones, <laughs> yeah. you know. Yeah, Black, yeah, yeah. Black Codes from the Underground, uh, 
standard time. I mean, all this stuff, if you want to hear Tane in action, that's it's all in the 80s. Because there's that straight-ahead jazz stuff that came out in that in that time period that people just overlooked because of all the other stuff, all the fusion and all the hard right. rock and stuff. It's kind of felt like a, a dark era in jazz, but it's, there's really some pretty killer stuff. Yeah, man. It, it, uh, you know, one of my favorite albums, not mainly for the album, but for getting to hear a drummer in one of his many primes um, is uh, Time in Place, Time in Place, not And Place. Uh, that's from 1988 by Mike Stern. Mm. And it's got Peter Erskine on it. And people right now, if anyone is under 25 years old, to them, Peter Erskine is a like a jazz drummer, almost like a big band drummer in their mind because they yeah. just hear him playing this current old school, version yeah, of yeah. old school big band. Yeah. And they don't understand, like, this was the cat, man. And, yeah. and he still is the cat. It's just, like I said, it, instead of hearing him in his prime, it's hearing him in one of his primes. And, and he's, when you hear it, you're like, oh, this must be Gad or Weckl. Yeah. And then you look it up and you're like, oh my gosh, that's Peter. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. yeah he was returned kind of, to Erskine. Again, like his, <laughs> I'd learned about him from buying his videos, just sight unseen. Like, I'd, mm-hmm. I want to get a video called Everything is Timekeeping. It sounds important. Let me get that. <laughs> and it's, it's Peter Erskine. And he's got yeah. the, you know, the six piece kit with the, the, you know, the floor toms are detuned and the rack toms are kind of in the jazz world. And, yep. What blows me away with his plan is how clear his ride cymbal articulation is. Like that has mm, been a huge yeah. influence for me. That whole video that's just like the ride cymbal so clean. I don't know how he does yeah. it. It's but it yeah. light. Like he doesn't he plays real light and flowy. It's those Peter Erskine sticks with that little ball tip, man. Yeah, I got him. I use them all through college. Yeah. No, he's he's a monster. Uh so yeah, I mean I went through that. <clears throat> Um, I was listening today to Steps Ahead Live in Tokyo from 86 with Steve Smith on the drums. What, what I really liked about that was now I can kind of tie in. So I had Steve Smith journey and then way later he just showed up on the scene with a bald head and now he's this fusion god. Right. But it's like I never was able to connect the dots. I'm like, when did this happen? You, you were playing, you know, mm. don't stop believing. And then all of a sudden you're in vital information. And so Steps Ahead Live in Tokyo is in 86. Yeah. That's like bridging yeah. the gap. And I got to hear him do his thing and really cool stuff. Um, one thing I wanted to give our listeners a chance to check out. I don't even know if you've seen this. You and I have never talked about this. But talking about the 80s and fusion and the the creation of the sound and the technology. There's a documentary. It's about 35 minutes. It's on YouTube. You can watch it for free. And it's called The Open Door. Have you ever seen that? Mm-mm. Okay, so it's no. called The Open Door, and then uh, Macintosh, MIDI, and Music, 1988. And it's oh, got wow. Chick Corea, Tony Williams, Herbie Hancock, Laurie Anderson, um, Santana, everybody that was making music at that time with their with their Macintosh. With their wall so this of is, computers. <laughs> no, this is like so this is so you have you have the Apple, the Apple II, the Lisa, and then you have the Macintosh. The uh-huh. first one that has like the floppy disk right in the front. Yeah. And this is it. This is the in the beginning of it, of drum programs, or of programming drums and sequences. And it is a fantastic documentary. So I mean, it's made in 1988. It's yeah. it looks like it is, and you can whoever put it on YouTube, you can watch their VHS tape keep kind of going whoop, whoop, for a second. <laughs> Does everyone look but, like they're sweaty and been smoking about a pack a day? <laughs> yes, yeah. and everything is cream colored due to the smoke residue on the walls, <laughs> even the keys of the keyboards. But uh, but yeah, so check out if you want to tie this whole thing together. Tony Williams is there with his electric, you know, giant Simmons pads. Wow. Um, so if you want to check this thing out, it's called The Open Door, 
Macintosh Midian Music 1988, and it is it is fantastic. And you really get to see Chick Corea and Herbie doing this stuff and how they got those sounds that they got at the time. So it's pretty amazing. Which so. took it in a whole different world. I mean, that the Herbie stuff from that era, I knew Herbie as a, a hip-hop guy before I knew him as a jazz guy. Just because totally. of Me that too. stuff. I was like, who is this anonymous guy who... I literally knew him from Beverly Hills Cop 1. It was the theme to yeah, that. Yeah, right. And uh, that's how I knew him. And then, yeah, somebody said something about Herbie and Miles. And I'm like, uh, Herbie would have had to have been like 18 years old if he played with Miles Davis at that time. They're like, yeah, he was. Yeah, he I was. was. Like, wait, what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, and Tony was 17. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> There goes my argument. <laughs> yep, exactly. Uh, and he's yeah, still killing I mean, it. That's the thing with Herbie. I mean, he, every record he puts out, it's great. I mean, he's yeah. he's done. He's evolved in so many different ways. It's and what a great ambassador for music. Every time you hear him speak, it you feel like you're getting a chance to hear a genius. Yeah, give his opinion on something well spoken and just always articulate and well thought out. Uh, I'm a fan. I, I, I can watch Herbie Hancock interviews. Over, even over his music like i just want to hear him speak um, yeah. i love everything he has to say well guys check out some great 80s jazz fusion check out the new issue of modern drummer uh what's it's the march issue 2017 that's got our boy kenny arnoff on the cover yep the ageless <clears throat> wonder so check that out and now what i'm excited about is after doing this podcast now i get to dig into the middle of the issue and check out what you guys found as great 80s albums and 80s drum performances. So I'm really excited about that. So let's get into our featured artist. Uh, is it Brian Dune? Is that how you say his last name? Dunn, as far as I know. Son of a biscuit. Gotta <laughs> learn how to pronounce people's names. Redo that intro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> In three, two, one. All right, now it's time to get into our featured artist. This time it is Mr. Brian Dunn. How was that? <laughs> I'm not yeah. editing that out. That was perfect. You son of a motherless <laughs> pearl. All right. So <laughs> uh, I've been a fan of this cat for a while because I've been watching live at Daryl's house for probably five or six years. Yeah. Um, I think it's one of the – it felt like I was watching – and I don't know. Maybe you know this. It felt like I was watching a made-for-the-internet program on TV. I That's don't know if they was. originally – Oh, what was it? Yeah, okay. it started as a web a web show. A webisode. Yeah, yeah I think that's, it, that's how it felt. Yeah, I think it originally started as a cooking show slash music slash... I mean, it was kind of a looser format. I don't know if they're still okay. doing the cooking thing, but it's like they would always have a chef come in and, and talk about how they're making their meal and then right. play some music. And, yeah. But yeah, it started as it's, a web thing if, oh. from from what I recall. Um, and then it got you know picked up on TV and it's, it's, a, it's really one of the best live performance shows I think I've ever seen. It really it's is. incredible, they and Brian so was good. a big part. I mean, for for drummers out there, we you we all know that when you see a musical program on TV, we stare at the drummer. We want to know what kind of kit the guy mm-hmm. or the girl's playing. We want to know what kind of cymbals. And I remember with Brian, like the first time I saw a show, I think it was uh, this female singer from the UK named Rumor, and. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm watching it and I'm like, oh, cool. He's got that pocket thing down. And I kind of left it at that. I was really impressed, but I was like, well, you know, I expect him to do that. Then I saw him with um, uh, Fits in the Tantrums. Is that mm-hmm. who it is? Yeah, um, yeah. And he crushed that. And then, like, it was like 20 episodes in. I'm like, uh, this guy's a bad, bad man. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he just plays for the song. I mean, who who in the music world wouldn't hire Brian Dunn to play on the, on their album? He plays so much for the music. It was 
really incredible. Yeah, and so clean to think that they're literally playing these songs a couple times down and, and that's it. It sounds so rehearsed. And I know. Pro- you would think it's like produced, like they spent a whole day per song. but And it kind of feels like, yeah, that's <clears throat> kind of what I'd expect out of a, a Daryl Hall is like he's got his group of ringers. They're the baddest dudes yeah. in town. And, you know, and he and, and it's just it's an awesome thing. I mean, if you guys haven't seen Live at Daryl's House and obviously this does not encapsulate Brian Dunn's career by any means. He's done a ton of stuff, but watch it because you'll see this unassuming guy where you're like, oh, that's that's not what you have in your head when you think of stud drummer. He's just a dude. He's got yeah. his backwards hat on. Yeah. Just, hey, he's <laughs> smiling through the whole taping. And then he plays and you're like, it's it's got that John Robinson feel of. Man, once he starts playing, it sounds like it's the radio. It it's sounds just, like a record, doesn't it? it yeah, sounds perfectly it mixed and balanced. It's unreal. Man. Did you did you unreal. see the uh, episode with Minus the Bear? No. When they did all of uh, Daryl Hall's more proggy experimental songs? No. Check it out. There's, some, okay. like, there's like an odd time one in there. I mean, they they dug up. Because I think the, the premise of the show is the guests get to choose whatever songs they want to play out of, out of Daryl Hall's discography. Yeah. <clears throat> so Minus the Bear is kind of a... a proggy alternative band so they went deep and picked all the you know the more progressive yeah, tracks sure. and i don't think daryl ever played a couple of those live honestly wow so they just ripped i them. mean that's another thing that you get out of the show is it's it's you know we definitely need to talk more about brian but because it's becoming a thing about this show but one <laughs> thing you get out of the show is that daryl's a a bad dude man yeah because someone will sing the verse He'll kick in for verse two, and you're like, oh, that's how it's supposed to sound. <laughs> yeah. But the person that's saying the first verse is one of the greatest singers on the planet. You know, yeah. and it's like, man, Daryl's bad. I, I, I love it. And I, I love that they show the writing process, and, and you can just see how excited musicians get when you in a room, when the vibe is happening, and you kind of click on something. And you go, yeah, 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 let's do that. Let's just take it here and do this with it. And everyone in the room gets so excited. And, I mean, it's an amazing thing. And and I think right now we need this more than ever because we have so many musicians that are okay with not playing with anybody else, just playing by themselves, putting their videos on social media, which, you know, I've obviously been a part of it, so I understand it. But uh, you and I talked before the podcast started. I had a great rehearsal last night and being in the room with a human connecting and making music it's kind of it brought it all first full circle that's what it's all about you know yeah exactly and there's a whole other amount of skill and technical challenges when you get into that too i mean you have to for sure dynamics and responding i mean it yeah brian's brian's a beast he he was in the average white band for a while so really yeah so the dude had you know he came up in a a pocket pedigree and then i i believe he's in actually in hall and oats yes he is so he's been out with them for the last eight years uh he's played live with pretty much everyone in the world um you know i was i was was going through his rundown and it's ariana grande i mean like modern modern musicians um he's uh done stuff with uh keiko matsui jeff lorber who ash stone plays with a lot um Mm -hmm. and then i mean sting anthony hamilton michael brecker randy brecker uh it's it's unreal dude the guy's done a lot of stuff and I think he's just a great example of, hey, just do your job, man. You yeah. know what I mean? Just, you just, just play good. Just play good. Can you, you? We don't need a wide receiver on the drums. We don't need a diva. Just yeah. play the damn drums. And, and he does it really well. Well, guys, definitely check out Brian Dunn. It's um, <clears throat> D-U-N-N-E. And you can just go to his website, briandundrums.com. Briandundrums.com. You can hire him to play on tracks. Um, and you can... 
Yeah, uh, check out his online store and then see a full discography of everything he's done. It's pretty incredible stuff. So, all right. So let's get into some gear review. Gear review time. We've got the DW bass drum beaters now. I looked at the article a little bit. I saw that they have the fluffy one and the normal one and then the shallow one. Are these new? Because I don't remember DW even having one of those fluffy beaters. Yeah, um, they. Uh, I think all within the past year. They're okay. The, the fluffy one is actually uh, Rich Redmond's Black Sheep, which I, I think I mm. chose as a pick of the week. That was your back. pick of the week. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <clears throat> so it's actually a, a, a wood beater that's painted black, and then it has a like a fluffy sock that goes over the top of it that makes it... You know, a two two for two for one. I think we I think we just sold that. Yeah, <laughs> like it's got a fluffy sock on the top, and then they charge you double. It's great. It's got a piece. You know, it's like a black <laughs> black fleece that goes over. So it really does yeah. work. I mean, you it, you take the fleece off. It's a punchy wood beater. It's, it's what you think of it. That be. is pretty cool. Put the fleece on, I, and you got that vintage kind of feel. Yeah, yeah, man. <clears throat> um, and so, which beaters did you review out of their lineup? That was the one, and then they also sent me. It's called the. The 101 Air, uh, which is basically the same as their traditional one, the two-sided beater, but they cut the the side, they hollowed out the side, so it's just a lighter, faster beater. So that was kind of like the the version that if you just need more speed, I personally didn't prefer because I don't I don't want my beater to feel lighter. I want it to actually feel heavier. I tend to go right. heavier beater most of the time, but okay. but it definitely I could tell and and I could play faster doubles if if that was something I ever needed to do, or if maybe you were triggering and tone wasn't important, but getting the notes out as fast as possible was. Yeah. So I could see a lot of metal guys using that. Yeah, so that was cool. And then the other two, which were more unusual were the control beater and the control beater xl which yeah those i had never seen before until i saw your article yeah it's like a i don't know how to describe it you have to kind of look at it but then it's like a flat piece of plastic with interchangeable tips you got like a felt and a wood and and hard plastic i think for each one or the the control beater comes with round felt flat felt and hard plastic the control beater xl which was designed with uh jr robinson has a wood in a felt and it's a big square so the control okay. beater is round the control beater xl is a big square uh front but it comes with these like brass inserts so you can control the weight you can kind of take them huh. in and out they look kind okay. of like little bullets that you kind of stick in the back of the the head of the beater okay you know i didn't feel the need to take them out i thought they were with all of them in they, they felt fine okay uh, but the beater head also self-adjusts so if your angle of your gotcha. bass drum changes, the beater head will just kind of change each time you strike it to make it flush. That's uh, cool. And it never got to the point where it was so extreme that it would like chop it with the edge of the beater. And is it what's it designed for? Is it designed to be a quieter beater or no? It's just a new. It's just a different. It's option. just a w- way to do it. Okay. Yeah, I mean the control beater, uh, the, the regular one has a small round beater, so it has like a dense, heavy feel, but it's more kind of articulate than the regular beater. Okay. I think I think Tony Royster is using that one, so you can imagine I mean, if we're doing a lot of like stuttery kind of bass drum parts and sure. stuff. Uh, but the control beater XL is J.R. Robinson, so it's huge sound. It's actually designed for bigger drums, so twenty fours and twenty sixes. Okay, uh, but you can use it on anything. I'm using it with a 20 right now, and that has like a really big kind of dense sound that you would think from John Robinson. Think of John Robinson's bass drum sound. It's real kind of dense and punchy. Sure, and that beater yeah. does that. The wood, the wood front was was cool. I like the felt one better. Well, uh, let me ask you this: so 
do you because you do this stuff a lot more than I do as far as you record the nuances of everything because you're reviewing the stuff. Yeah. When you get to a kit, let's say you're in a studio, do you consider the beater as an option or do you just sit down and play and then tune the bass drum? I mean, would you ever consider swapping beaters for any reason? Yeah, uh, but okay. never, never to the nuance of like having twenty at my disposal. It's usually some kind of felt, some kind of plastic or wood, and then maybe some okay. kind of a fluffy vintage thing. Okay, so so the black sheep would be something to maybe keep in your stick bag or in your hardware bag. Yeah, for yeah. you personally, and then yeah, I mean I'm I'm the same. I mean I think I kind of grew up with that DW five thousand beater that gave yeah. me a felt side and a plastic side, and I've just eventually switched to a felt beater because. You know, you can get it as you can get actually quite a bit of attack out of a felt beater. It's not as soft as you would as people would think. Yeah, um, just doesn't give you that like immediate click. Click. Yeah. Yep. I, <laughs> and Jinx, you don't make it. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I, I agree. But I mean, so when you recorded these, did you hear any difference? Like, oh, okay, that's different. I mean, I guess the black sheep's going to be the obvious one. Yeah, that's the most obvious. the The air is is definitely a feel thing. It sounds like okay. a regular DW beater, but okay. it's a feel thing. And then the control beater, regular one, it it felt a little bit more focused and, and punchy. But again, it was a feel thing, and it, it felt just a little heavier without having a massive uh, beater ball. I guess gotcha. that's kind of what okay. it's doing. It's giving you a smaller beater with a heavier feel. Okay, cool. So you can get like a tighter, <clears throat> tighter click, but you're not using like a tiny little, you know, little beater head that's that's super lightweight, right? Uh, so yeah, well, I mean, you can guys, hear it, but I don't know. I mean, I think mostly importantly, it's it's about feel, like having different beaters that feel differently, that make you play differently. Right. A wood beater makes me play differently because it's it's heavy. I mean, it you it's can't, a tank. You can't move yeah. it super fast. Yeah, and then no, the, with you on the, that one. the fluffy one makes you play differently because you can't get more yeah. than quarter notes out of it really yeah and i mean the god the fluffy one would almost make me choose my bass drum differently i don't want to use a fluffy one on a bass drum like i actually would want it to do its thing i'd want uh my shallowest bass drum with nothing in it and yeah. two single ply coated heads with no yeah. porthole and then use the fluffy to get that boom you know thing yeah. going so and that's a cool really one cool. you can really dig in with the fluff with the the black sheep with the fleece you can dig into the drum and not get any kind of like buzz and flutter. Just you can kind of make it sure. punchier by digging in, which yep. I thought was cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of a nerd for I have a I say I don't take a bunch, but I have a whole drawer full of beaters, and I'm always <laughs> trying them out. But if push came to shove, I would take the black sheep because it gives me the fluffy vintage and the wood beater, and, and then yeah. I would take and then one of the felt options. So two beaters would done. give me the four sounds, the three sounds. Perfect. That I would need. Awesome. Well, guys, you can check these out pretty much at any online retailer. I saw them today on Sweetwater and a couple other sites, so you can check them out. And you know, the great thing about beaters is they're not very expensive, so uh, something to check out for sure and ask your local store about them. All right, it is time to get into some of your guys' questions. We will get to as many as we can. For any of you guys that want to write us and ask us anything, feel free to do so. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. You can email us a text question, or you can also Email us an audio question. So what do we got today, sir? First one is from Cabbage. He's saying um, he recently bought his I'm gonna I wanna start reading these in their voice. I'm I need to stop interpreting their, their voice. Right? Okay. It'd be better, okay. right? Instead of me saying yeah. he's saying. All right, so this is yeah. from Cabbage. I recently bought my dream drum kit. A Ludwig reissue Vista Light in green. And then topped it off with your symbol pack. 
the mine oh, nice. all symbol pack. So he wants, he, see, I did it again. I want to know what you guys <laughs> think about acrylic snare drums. My kit is green, and it's been really hard trying to find a green Vista Light snare. It seems like I'm going to pay big bucks when I do find one on sale. Uh, mm. So I'm thinking I might as well go all out and just get a Black Beauty. I play stoner <laughs> rock music and Kaya style. I'm just curious if the acrylic snare is the right choice to complete the acrylic kit. Mm. Uh, I know you have really high praise for the Superphonics, so any suggestions on helping me complete my dream drum kit would be greatly appreciated. Nice. I have an, uh, a Vistalite kit with a matching acrylic snare. The snare is is dispensable, I think. Yep, I agree. It's, it's just it's, kind of a transparent, personality-free drum. Yep. Uh, you're going to have a lot more fun with a Superphonic or a Black Beauty, in my opinion. And. Uh, and I think, honestly, I think uh, a Black Beauty or Superphonic would actually fill out the sound that might be missing in the Vista Light in the first place. Yeah. So it would thicken up the whole entire drum set. When you hit that bass drum, there's nothing like hitting a bass drum with a 14 by 6.5 Black Beauty on the kit because the bass drum resonates the snare in this certain way that fattens the bass drum. It's hard mm-hmm. to explain, but there's a feel there's this sheet of just awesomeness that goes over the whole kit when you have a 14 by six and a half Black Beauty or Superphonic on the kit that you're not going to get out of a out of a acrylic snare. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, unless you're going to use drum lights or something, you want the whole thing to be uniform. Right. I mean, I would. If, if that's the case, if you're doing it for a show, I would just get a clear, like you know, transparent acrylic snare. Yeah. Um, because it'll that way it'll match any kit you ever have. You don't have to match the green; just get a clear one. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say go Black Beauty because the I think your acrylic kit will come in and out of your favoritism, buddy. But I think that your Black Beauty snare or your Superphonic will stay one of your main snares for the rest of your life. Indeed. Next one is from Harrison. So he says, "Hello, Mike and Mike. I was wondering if you cats had any advice for brush playing. I've been spending a lot of time working on my brush work, but I've found that my left hand gets pretty worn out after a while. Any suggestions?" Over to you, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are definitely some good resources. I think Florian's uh, book Florian, and yeah. DVD, "The Art of Brush Playing," I think it's called, is mm-hmm. both the book and the DVD are you know top notch. Clayton Cameron has an amazing book. I think it's called Brushworks. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you keep going back further. Ed Thigpen has Ed a classic Thigpen. book. And then if you dig around hard enough online, you can find Philly Joe Jones' original brush book uh, it's out of print but i'm sh- it's there's pds floating around the universe mm-hmm. um so i would just get some of those resources i mean it, your left hand is getting pretty worn out might suggest that you're digging in too much with your swishes right um so yeah. i think you have to we have to kind of watch people play with brushes to get an idea of how to do it we can't really yeah. explain it and you can't read about it you have to watch that's a really good point i think emulating the mannerisms of a great brush artist will help you more than almost anything uh, i do have uh clayton cameron's no i'm sorry i have ed thigpin's book and then i also have florian's book and i can tell you both are fantastic but florian florian's book is really it's standing on the shoulders of giants as far as it's taking everything that's already been taught a million times and really clarifying it and i think the step-by-step instruction of florian's book is done really really well i gotta yeah. say 
it's every time somebody asks me to teach an online brush lesson on mikeslessons.com, I always pull out Florian's book to get back to like, okay, let me let me get some of the basics. Because I honestly I don't play any gigs that require brushes. So it is a tech it is a skill that if you don't keep it up, you will lose it. Yeah. And it's called um, the, but the one the brush secret, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah the brush secret. I think I said it wrong. Um, the brush secret. By Florian Alexandru Zorn. Correct. Right? Yep. Um and one thing that I, I love about it is I like being taught things by people that are obsessed with something. Um, yeah. If I'm going to be taught Afro-Cuban music, I, you know, I went to Ignacio and Horacio and like, yeah. and if I'm going to be taught brushes, I want to be by, I mean, Florian's obsessed with that stuff, man. He's not yeah. like, oh, this is kind of cool. Like he's really into it. Yeah. I mean, um, it's the same thing with Clayton. It. Clayton Cameron was probably yes. the first guy to just focus his entire career on. And his book is, uh, you say you don't have that one? Yeah, that, I don't. That I, one Ed is. Thigpins. Yeah, Ed Thigpins okay. is kind of loosely just a bunch of swish patterns, um, right? Which are all crucial to to learn. But Clayton goes deeper, and he he's applying rudiments to brush tech. He's kind of establishing rudiments for brushes, and so that's also a great resource. And I believe it comes with a DVD, uh, or at least it used to. But yeah, I think Florian's takes it into the contemporary style a little bit more, a little bit more right. funk and and modern style. So all three of those. Yeah. I think you should have, or at least be exposed to. But more there importantly, you got to got to watch people play with brush because if your left hand's wearing out, then you're probably just working too hard. It's a real delicate technique. You shouldn't be getting tired. Agreed. All right, next one is coming from Scott. Um, is it advisable to reuse a drum head? I've always just assumed once put on and tightened. The answer is no, especially after extended use and especially for the batter side heads. I'm sure a variety of scenarios play into this question potentially, or is there a solid answer? Uh, recently, uh, that's that's basically it. All right, so yes, so can we reuse drum heads? Wow, that's a it's a great question. I you know I think that. Uh, I keep my drum heads on my drum until my drum doesn't sound good, and then I discard the head and get a new one. So, uh, yeah. So in your case, what about no. you? Yeah, no, I because I, yeah. I use it until it doesn't sound good. Yeah. To me, heads heads are not about a shelf life. Somebody always asks me how long do your tom heads last, and it's like somewhere between a day and six years. Yeah, that's. Yeah. You know, they last until they don't sound good, and then I change them, um, or until somebody else comes to my studio and dents them up, because I do believe that dents actually affect the, the direction in the sound waves. I mean, they mm-hmm. have to. It's not a flat membrane anymore. Yeah, now it's got these huge it. divots in it. Um, so yeah, I mean, honestly, I just play them until they sound bad. And, and everyone always thinks that I have brand new heads just because of how I white balance my cameras. Dude, my heads are hella old. I, you know, but they're like, man, your stuff's always. It's like, no, I have light shooting down straight onto the head that reflects. Yeah, you know, it's got a high albedo factor, so it reflects all the light. Um, but yeah, so I, I use them until they sound bad. And same with bottom heads. What about you? I mean, yeah, I I do swap them out a bunch because I I like to try different things on different drums. I think. I mean, obviously, a two ply head is going to do something different than a single ply head, and so I'm always experimenting. Um, and I do reuse them a lot. Um, I just don't. Once they get stretched and dented, is when I don't try to reuse them. Yeah. Although I remember reading that Steve Gad used to go to one of the drum shops in New York when he lived here back in the day, and he would buy the old snare drum heads, whatever they had really? that came that were like overstretched and beat up. He would take them and use them. So man, Jojo wow. replacing the bottom of his Converse, Steve Gad <laughs> getting old drum heads. What the hell, man? I mean, so yeah, I mean, I guess it's all depending on what you want to do with them. I 
once they're overstretched and dented, I, then they become, you know, I cut them up for, for muffling and do whatever, right. you know, other thing. Use them yeah, I mean, I, I plants, guess it, plant holders, yeah. whatever. <laughs> I guess if, it, if it's something where you're just swapping them out, then, then yes, you can definitely reuse them. I know that the first major label album I did, we hired the drum doctors and it was this overindulgent crap. I don't, I don't think of it. I mean, you're more of a studio drummer than I am, but they changed the heads in between almost every take. Oh, yeah, I call BS on that. I do, too. Yeah. I was like, wait, I haven't broken them in yet. They're going to sound better if you just leave them on. Yeah. But, you know, uh, it was like, well, you're a very heavy hitter, and we just want to make sure that everything sounds good. I'm like, this is honestly quite silly. That's called um, fatten up the budget. So That's <laughs> what I thought. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Um, and so I took every one of those heads with me on tour because they were just sitting in a pile. I'm like, dude, there's like over 100 drum heads here. I play a four-piece kit yeah this is stupid um so yeah i definitely reuse those so i think it just depends Uh, yeah i guess i guess i can see his question like once you seat the head and stretch it does it then no longer conform to a different bearing edge and i think that's a little bit of an old myth too the whole idea of like seating the head and and having it become i mean it's plastic it's going to move around it's going to restretch Mm -hmm. as long as it's not overstretched or pulled out of the counter hoop i would reuse it you know or you you know just just see if it sounds good. Put it on. If that's, it I mean, honestly, good, that's what then, it comes down to. Yeah. Does it sound good? If it sounds good, cool, man. Yeah. Um, so, all right, next. All right. Next one is from Bill. He says, he says, I'm upgrading <laughs> my cymbal set. Should I buy a new collection around one particular cymbal in the set, like the ride or hi-hat? Um, how similar or different should the sonic characteristics be throughout the collection? So man. it's a two-part question. What a great question. Should I build my new collection around one particular symbol, for example, the ride or the hi-hat? Hmm. Hmm. You know, I got to say, as a Pisces artist for 14 years, I always played collections. So if I got a Dark Energy ride, I got the Dark Energy hats, the Mm. Dark Energy crash. You know, I got it all. Um, They just complemented each other. They were. I felt that they were actually made to complement each other. When I moved to Minol. Uh, I looked at the other artists first, like what's Benny playing? What's Thomas Lang playing? What is Chris Coleman playing? And they didn't have any of the same lines. Like a couple, you know, maybe they had some a lot of Byzance, but they were all, here's one extra dry, here's a dark, here's a Byzance traditional, and then here's a random MB10. You know, and I was like, whoa, that's weird. And hmm. so you probably know better than I, because I only have experience with two symbol companies as far as an in-depth experience. But some of them, you can just kind of ma- mix and match. Uh, as far as doing it around your ride or your Hyatts, I think that's a, a, a fine idea just because you play them so much. Um, I mean, I, I would never just buy a random symbol and not care how it mixed with my kit. Um, yeah. You know, yeah, I, mean, I, I want it to complement the drum set and be like, well, I don't have this and I'm wishing for it, so here it is. But I don't know. That's a weird thing. I, I don't know if I've ever thought of it that in depth. I just kind of. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Playing I guess my symbols. I don't. Um, I've never gone out and just bought a whole new setup. It's usually yeah, I want to upgrade my crash. Or I want to upgrade my my hi hats. I mean, I started with whatever uh, junkyard stuff I could find, pawn shop symbols sure. and brass bits, and then each birthday or whatever, I would save up my allowance. I would buy the next best thing. So eventually, I had an entire right. set of B8 Pros. Yep, like everything, and then. You know, a year or two later, I, had, I started replacing the ride symbol and replacing the hi hats with. Did you have the China Splash? Oh yeah, two of them. Eight. Yeah, you eight did. And eight and the ten. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, me too, man. Uh, Which was so a funny, cool we, symbol. 
What a cool symbol. Yeah, it's like an upside down splash. Uh, yeah, I, I love that thing, man. Yeah. Oh, that's so, so funny. So I've never, splash. yeah, so I've never going out and said, I'm going to buy a whole new collection. Okay, so let that, me ask you this, and, and maybe this will help him a little bit. If you were going to buy a new crash right now, would you go to the store and only hit crashes, buy one and, and go home, or would you bring your ride and your or your hi-hats with you to the store to see how it complemented? You know what? I would probably bring my other crash before I would worry about the, the ride okay. or the hi-hats, because it you might not realize it, but they might be like a strange pitch. It might just be like a microtone off or something that okay. just, or it's just too, you know, like contrast is too extreme. Uh, okay. That's probably what I would do. But, you know, and, and ultimately, no, I would just go find the crash that I think sounds good. And right. it's going to mix with the other symbols because I think they sound good too. Like it's, it's right. kind of all my own aesthetic. I wouldn't let, I wouldn't say, you know, Mike, go pick me out a new crash. Like I wouldn't let you do that. I wouldn't tell <laughs> right, my yeah, mom yeah. I want a new, you know, a new China symbol yeah, yeah. for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, we did when we were kids, right? It was like, oh, my mom got me a ride. Yeah. Well, this is the ride. You know, <laughs> right. I didn't even know that some dude hammered it differently than the one before. That you know. Yeah. Um, but okay. I mean, well, to, let me just to focus in. I think his the idea of starting with the ride or the hi hats is definitely a good idea. Find the ride or the hi hats that you think are perfect for what you need, and then just start mixing and matching crashes and see what you know what blends. Because uh, it's really the ride and hi hats. Really, the ride is the most thing. Because hi hats, they sound very different, but they sound like hi hats in most cases, unless you're going yeah. like big sixteens or or twelves or something. I mean, mm-hmm. thirteen to fourteen inch hi hats are all going to sound, sound like hi hats. Like hi hats. Let me ask you this: going to be very different. Just to help him out a little bit further, you have the budget to get a whole new set of symbols. Mike Dawson can mm-hmm. buy whatever he wants. Would you do it one symbol at a time and just? And keep chipping away, or would you actually go out and buy an entire set of symbols? I guess if I was in like a place that had a vault of symbols, I would just do it all. Uh, really? I, would, okay. I would definitely start with the ride symbol. Find one that gives me all you know something. I know what I need. I need a little bit of ping. I need something that's that's warm and a little bit of complexity. You know, doesn't wash out. That's kind of my ride symbol I need. And then I'd find hi hats that that blend with it. Um, usually thinner, bigger, probably, and then I would just add right. crashes that kind of fit in between those two sounds. Yeah, and probably eighteen and a twenty inch crash. I wouldn't be afraid of mixing and matching series. Like I, I often use yeah. a K. I and wouldn't even an be afraid of. Crash. I was gonna say I wouldn't even be afraid of mixing and matching companies. Yeah, I, exactly. I just want. I mean, if you don't have an endorsement, what the hell does it matter? Just play your favorite ride, get your dream ride, get not dream the company, unless you want one. Um, <laughs> but get your dream ride, your dream hats, dream crash. I think the tough thing, you know, is I live in California. You live on the East Coast. You're close to New York. We're assuming that he has access to a shop that has symbols. There's yeah, a lot of people that don't have access to that. So part, yeah. I would say, you know, I, I'm not affiliated with any shop, I mean, anywhere, but I would say that going through something like mysymbol.com where you can really hear the exact symbol they have the the greatest customer service ever might be a good way to go get the ride get it home play it if you like it keep it add to it get some hats if you don't like it send it back there like i said their customer service is second to none so um hope that helps buddy all right next one is from frank uh, question from viewing the drum set arrangement of many drum set players today i have wondered what the second snare drum uh, that is located to the left of the hi-hat is for. Uh, mm. To what I've read, it's called an auxiliary snare. What is it used for, and who do you think originated it? 
Oh, whoa. Yeah, you threw the... Frank, uh, a little heads up. Let's give us a little heads up so we can do our research. Jeez. I'm pretty sure I did. It's called a table. Um, you know what? That's a, Frank, thank you for asking that. I, I feel sometimes people don't want to ask questions that are like, I wonder if there's an obvious answer. I don't want to ask. It's like, dude, at some point, Mike and I didn't know why they made nylon tip sticks. We didn't know the difference between maple and birch. So ask this stuff. Uh, the, the auxiliary snare generally for most people is to have a, a different sound source, a different tonality in your drum. So if you have a big fat snare drum as your main snare, a lot of times people will have what's called a popcorn snare or a poppy high-pitched side snare. If you have a funky snare like David Garibaldi from Tower of Power, then maybe your side snare is a big fat detuned snare, but it gives you a different option. Um, I always play with a side snare. What about you? Are you a side snare guy? Uh, no. If you gig? Okay. No. So I you're mean, just very rarely. I mean, there's been uh, a couple gigs recently where a couple songs needed like a kind of a breakbeat sounding bit for a couple okay. tracks. So I'd only bring out a second snare if, if the songs require it. But lately it's been bringing the uh, SBDS pad and putting it oh, okay. where, the, where the second snare would be so I could play the actual samples that we're trying to I gotcha. replicate. So, no, I used to. I used to use. Uh, I, I like stripped apart my acrylite and use it as a timbale for a long time. Sure, yeah. Because um, I was yeah. listening to a lot of reggae and kind of the alternative rock bands were playing. Flip that. That. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> doing a lot of that. So I mean, I've done it a bunch over the years, but lately, no, I just haven't really needed to. Uh, I don't know who could have possibly. I mean, I I've started using a second snare in the early '90s, so that would have had yeah. to have been. I don't know who it was. I saw it, do I can, it first. I can tell you exactly where I got it from. I got it from. In the early 90s or mid-90s from Stephen Perkins with Porno for Pyros. And he oh, had a yeah. he had that attached it – was, it was just a single-headed drum. Maybe you remember who made those. I don't remember who it was. but And it was attached to his hi-hat stand. Yeah, LP and maybe? No, it was it – was, okay. it was a company. I mean they made a whole kit of single-headed drums, whoever this was. Pure Cushion? Um, pure Cushion. Really? Yep. Was it there Pure Cushion? Yep, because yep. I bought it. I had it. And so I saw him in, um, what was it, Pets was their yeah, big that, hit. Yeah, that was it. So he was in that video. And then from there on out, since I couldn't at the time afford that, I did exactly what you did. I just had my, my one of my extra snares on the side with the snares off. And then, yeah, I just it kind of came in, in and out of my lineup. And now I use the auxiliary snare in a way that I don't hear a lot of people do. My auxiliary snare sounds almost exactly like my main snare. And there's just a few things I play as a soloist that I feel more comfortable playing in an open grip, still right hand lead than I do crossing my hands. And so I, I, I kind of play it for that reason. Mm. Um, and then it's still a table when I just need to place to put my tea. <laughs> yeah. You don't do <laughs> so. the second floor, Tom, you do the second snare. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So there you go. Well guys, thank you guys so much for your questions. Keep sending those in. I know we keep promising it, but we will get to some of your audio questions. And, uh, we have, way too many of these things in a great way it's a positive thing but we will get to a, we'll do a full episode of listener questions soon so okay now here's a here's a question for you buddy yep. you're at home i am i know that your normal pick of the week is you looking around your office <laughs> while i talk about my pick of the week and then you find something cool not <laughs> do you true. actually have one <laughs> not true actually that's usually one of us usually does that every time <laughs> that's why so if you guys want to go back in the podcast you'll hear why don't you go first? If you hear that <laughs> phrase, that means whoever said that phrase doesn't have a pick of the week. <laughs> well, uh, mine, I think, uh, how many views has this thing gotten? 820,000 views since Monday. 
Wait, what? Yeah, this video, Nate Wood doing uh, a, a live one-take improv with his new project called Four. Have you seen okay. this? No. He's playing electric bass, two synthesizers, and drum set better than I've heard quartets play. By himself. Like, he's ripping on bass, drums, and synthesizers simultaneously. Nate Wood is of the band D-Body and yeah. a bunch of other projects. So I know that he, because he's done some shows where he plays electric bass and drums at the same time. Um, but this is him, one take. And where where are you finding it? Is this on YouTube? It was on, on his Facebook? Facebook page. So if you if you okay. follow Nate Wood, N-A-T-E-W-O-O-D, on Facebook, you'll find it might be like two or three posts down. It's insane. It's like the most intense uh, fusion, groovy, electronic thing. And he's doing it simultaneously, drumming, playing bass, and keyboards. It's freaking. That is awesome. It's freaking nature stuff. <laughs> uh, so, so right when I'm feeling good about my own playing, that's when I should watch that video? You like, know, oh, I, there's not often that I'm like, screw it, I'm done. When I saw this, I'm like, screw this, I'm done. Like, I... <laughs> I can't I can't play any one of these instruments nearly as well or have the oh. creativity and the the writing skills of this guy. And to boot, he's also a really amazing singer-songwriter. That's awesome, man. Yes. That is what so, a jerk. Yeah, yeah put so him and Josh Dion in a room together. You'll find it. Goodness. I mean, you've probably seen people have been sharing it on Facebook all over, but okay. it's called 4 hyphen rabbit by Nate Wood. It's a new project he's working on where everything is recorded in one take. Yeah, I've got. I mean, it's so funny how much social media itself has changed. How many views did you say it has? About eight hundred thousand. Yeah, it was eight hundred some thousand since Monday. On that same day, he uploaded it to YouTube. Guess how many it has on YouTube? I don't know. Seven thousand two hundred. What? How much has social media changed in three or four years? Wow. I mean, Instagram and Facebook are the home of video, and YouTube is the home of. Uh, it's like an archive. It's where I put things to last forever. Right? Yeah, how strange. But there's strange. not going to be as much social sharing on YouTube as there will be on Facebook. It can catch fire and everyone shares it. Yeah, you know, I mean, which is what the, happened. Yeah, exactly. And that's the the Josh Dion thing that I posted. That got over a million views in three or four days, and I don't have that many followers. So that was all because somebody else posted and somebody yeah. else posted and it just yeah. caught fire. And YouTube is just a slow burn. But I mean, as somebody that was one of the very first drum teachers ever on YouTube, it's so funny how much it's changed as far as how these platforms are used. So, all right, check out Nate Woods 4-Rabbit. Um, uh, so my pick of the week this time is a journal, and I've talked about journals in the past because I think they're important, but I don't know. Do you use a journal at all, Mike? I, I or do, do you a, use, are you I, a digital guy? I'm inconsistent. I mean, I have a, okay. I have a couple little pocket-sized notebooks that you know, okay. I care. I used to do – I used to follow Tim Ferriss's – I think he calls it a 10-minute journal or something, and I was doing like the mm-hmm. five-minute journal. So I would just <laughs> sit down first thing every day and just kind of – pour my thoughts out it inevitably ended up becoming a to-do list right or yeah. if, if not yeah. an exact to-do list like a get your life in order to-do list um sure well I'd, i got oh go ahead sorry i'll say but i do find a lot of value in it but what are you, are you talking about an actual physical journal yeah so um one thing is when i was getting into watches and then i, I all of a sudden i had this phase where i was really into craftsmanship mm-hmm. so i got like the 
the most craftsmanship nerd level journal ever. And it's like waxed leather made by a guy that only lives at the top of a tree in Peru. I mean, it, it was the dumbest thing ever. Anyways, I thought it was amazing. Handmade journal. And it's like an old school journal. Well, when you open it, it closes. And when you open it, it closes because <laughs> it's not spiral bound. So to write notation in it, you have to have two of your friends hold it open yeah, for you. right, right. And so I was like, okay, I'm trying to be ultra hipster with my journal, <laughs> my handmade leather journal and my bamboo pen, but I can't write in the damn thing. And it really pissed me off because what I wanted was I wanted a journal that was so nice and like that I cared about it so much that I – I really wanted to like carry it with me everywhere and take it with me and write in it a lot. And uh, so anyways, I was kind of bummed on that. And uh, when I was at Magnolia Market in Waco, Texas, uh, they had these things. I think the company – and I'll have to double check this for you. Uh, yeah, the, the, the company is called Appointed and it's a really, really nice journal but it's, it's coil bound. So mm. for musicians, it goes wide open and it has um, the lines in it are almost perfectly spaced to be kind of like a, a large staff. So mm-hmm. writing music on it is really easy. So the company's <laughs> called Appointed. I think they're about 20 bucks. Uh, the website is appntd.com. American-made stuff, um, and it's just – I bought like three of them, and they're, they're fantastic. So, so I have uh, a question about your journals. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. actually go back through them? Yes, right now. So, so what these are going to be – in the past, no. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, but what these are going to be is these are going to be the physical copies of upcoming books. Okay, so, so you're using it for, when the book is published, projects. I want to be able to look back and be like, "Here it is, handwritten." Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I'm really enjoying it a lot, and it's just nice to finally. When it was so funny, it must have been like a fad because when we were at the Common Thread Camp in New York this year, Matt had one of the like nice leather ones. And I'm like, Hey, do you have trouble writing in that? He's like, you can't write in it. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, well I have the same one, man. And then there was like three or four other students that I saw it like laying out. And I would ask them, I'm like, do you write in that a lot? And they're like, yeah, you kind of have to put your whole arm on it to hold it open. Uh, and I'm like, hilarious. this is so stupid. Like, why are we all going through this? So anyway, so if you guys are looking for a great journal, that's <laughs> coil bound. I mean, the coils are like vintage brass. I mean, this thing's like really nice. And like I said, it's not that expensive. It's like 20 bucks. Appointed. The website once again is appntd.com. Check it out. Boom. Boom. All right, buddy. What what episode was this? 79, I think. Damn. Look at this go. (laughs) A little train that could. (laughs) Well, stay warm, man. Uh, And uh, I will see you again next week and we'll do more of this. Remember, this is from me to you. Check out the Open Door Macintosh Media Music. I think you'll really dig it. Absolutely. I'm on it. All right, buddy. Well, have a good day. See ya. Peace.